Hello and welcome to American Catholic History, brought to you by the support of listeners like you. If you value this content, please become a supporter at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again to our supporters. Your support really means a lot to us and makes it possible for us to spend all the time that we need to keep making these episodes. We really couldn't keep doing this without you. Yes, thank you sincerely. And those of you who have considered becoming supporters, please join us. Find our support levels and the perks offered at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support, and then join us via Patreon or Locals. Also, thank you for the reviews you leave on Apple, and especially the five-star ratings. Those let Apple know that this is a great podcast, and that more people should find us. We yes. really think more people should find us. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> sure. <clears throat> so all that said, on with the show. Today, we're talking about the legendary comic, Bob Newhart. Newhart has been one of the most influential and beloved comedians of the 20th and early 21st centuries, with a career spanning more than 60 years. And until April of this year, he was joined and supported over those 60 years by his loving wife, Ginny. Yes, and Ginny wasn't just the mother to his children and a support when he came home. She would help him with his material. She actually suggests to him one of the most iconic moments of his long career. Yes, but you're jumping ahead there. We'll get to that in a moment. Let's start with the workaday life and unexpected success of George Robert Newhart. Sure thing. So, George Robert Newhart was born on September 5th, 1929 in Oak Park, Illinois. Oak Park is a village that borders Chicago to the west, so if anyone asked where he came from, he'd just say Chicago. He was the only boy among his parents' four children. His parents were Catholic, and all four children were raised Catholic. And one of his older sisters, Joan, actually became a religious sister with the Sisters of Charity of the Blessed Virgin Mary when she was 21. And to tell the truth, after skimming through the history of that order, we'll likely do an episode on them, their whirlwind founding from Dublin, Ireland, to Philadelphia, PA, to Dubuque, Iowa. Just, it just seems like the sort of story that we'd lo love to dig into and share. <laughs> so, well, maybe later this year we'll talk about another Newhart, Sister Joan Newhart BVM. But today, it's all about Bob. All about Bob. Bob Newhart. Again, he was born George Robert. But he was known as Bob, and I, really, we saw no indication about when Bob took over for George. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Bob is a much better name for a deadpan comedian than George. Um, George Burns. Okay, yes, I'll give you that. <laughs> and he was obviously among the greats. But I'd say, obviously. Yeah, but I'd say that's in spite of his name. George is just more interesting. Bob is just, well, Bob, with apologies to all the Bobs out there. Bob. Bob. <laughs> yes. So those three-letter names, you know, like Tom. So interesting. Point taken. Yes. <laughs> I, I like it. And apparently you like it too. <laughs> I always thought I would marry somebody with a much more exotic kind of name Eustace. to go with mine. Eustace. <laughs> Anyways, anyway, back to Bob. Back to Bob. <laughs> Bob went to Catholic grade school and a Catholic high school before going to Loyola University, Chicago, graduating with a bachelor's in business management. In 1952, he was drafted into the Army, and he served stateside for two years as a personnel manager. After putting in his two years, he was honorably discharged in 1954. He went to work as an accountant for United States Gypsum and... Honestly, to look at him and hear him talk, accountant seems like it would 
makes so much sense as a career for him. It's a fact he even noted throughout the years. Yeah, and joked about it. But he wasn't very good at being an accountant. He later joked that his motto, oh, that's close enough, didn't point to a successful accounting career. <laughs> you know, I spent a little time doing accounting and still dabble in it. And um, yeah, that's close enough. Doesn't really work. <laughs> in fact, in one of his routines, he actually said that his 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 approach was, as long as I'm within a dollar or two, that's probably okay. And, and went on mean... to say his bosses didn't really accept that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, he would use his own money to correct imbalances and the petty cash balances, which also as a former bank teller, I mean, who hasn't done that on occasion? Oh, sure. Yeah. But it's not a recipe for success in accounting. No. So he moved on from accounting to an ad agency where he did something much more up his line. He wrote copy for ads. It was while he was there that the beginnings of his comedy career really began. He and a coworker would go back and forth with fictitious phone calls about absurd scenarios. They go back and forth there in the office, making themselves and their office mates laugh. Eventually, some of their coworkers encouraged them to start recording these conversations and send them to local radio stations. It's kind of like people keep encouraging your dad and your uncle to right. like make a YouTube channel. That's what it reminds <laughs> well, they're working. me of. <laughs> yeah. Well, unlike your dad and your uncle, uh, Bob and his coworker, they listened and they sent their recordings in and got play on local radio. But that arrangement ended when his partner took a job in New York and moved away. Newhark continued on with the show, developing what became a staple of his shtick, the one-sided telephone call. Yeah, and people loved his stuff. It was new and different. Now, he wasn't the first person to do the one-sided conversation routine, that is, a routine where the comedian is only saying one half of the conversation and implying what the other person is saying, relying on the audience to imagine it. Right. But the difference with Newhart was his understated style. Yes. In an interview in 2005, the great Tim Conway was asked about Bob Newhart, who was a good friend of his. Conway pointed out that comedy up to that point had mostly been loud and boisterous, inspired by vaudeville acts. In vaudeville, you had to be loud and over the top to be heard, or if you were an early stand-up act, you got your start in bars and other noisy venues, so you had to be loud and in your face to get attention. Conway said that the difference with what Bob Newhart was doing was that he started out just recording his routines and sending the tapes to radio stations to play over the air. So he didn't have a vaudeville background and he wasn't competing with ambient noise to get attention. Since he didn't learn the habits that came from that background, he was suited for a new style of comedy. Right. And that made him different. And he was funny. He had a way of seeing the world, making observations, and commenting. He was always known as someone who could make others laugh. He commented that he wasn't the best student, he wasn't much of an athlete, and he wasn't the best at, well, much of anything else. But he always had a knack for making people laugh. Yeah, and I've known a few people like this. One of them was actually a classmate of mine in seminary. I sat next to him in a couple of classes, and I got, there were days when I only caught like half of the lecture because just sitting there, he'd make these comments under his breath, mostly to himself, but sometimes I'd hear them. They were just side-splittingly funny. And he's now a priest in North Carolina and his parishioners are very fortunate. I kind of imagine Bob Newhart was like that. <laughs> but Bob Newhart didn't go to seminary. He chose a different path and eventually decided to make comedy a career. Yes, that happened after the DJ at one of the local radio stations introduced him to the head of talent at Warner Brothers 
studios. On the strength of the routines he'd already recorded for the local radio stations, that executive signed him to a contract in 1959. And in 1960, his big break came. Yeah, that year he released a comedy album titled The Button-Down Mind of Bob Newhart. It was a reference to button-down collar shirts. The implication was that this guy is straight-laced and organized. And that he has, well, kind of a strange outlook on life. Yeah. Newhart himself wanted to title it The Most Celebrated New Comedian Since Attila the Hunt. The Warner Brothers execs didn't go for that, but they did let it be the subtitle. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Well... Here's something amazing. That album went to the top of the Billboard charts almost overnight. It enjoyed 14 weeks in the top position in 1960. That's crazy. Especially since the other albums which, which held, which it competed with and held the number one spot in other weeks that year were the original cast of The Sound of Music, plus albums by Elvis Presley, the Kingston Trio, Frank Sinatra, and then Billy Vaughn and his orchestra. That is some impressive company. Especially for a comedy album. Right. No music. Only the Kingston Trio held the top spot for more weeks that year. But for them, it was three different albums, not just one like Newhart. Later in 1960, Newhart released a follow-up album, The Button-Down Mind Strikes Back. It also went to number one, but it spent a long time at number two behind the original album. With the success of the two albums, Newhart set the record for the most weeks with albums occupying the top two spots on the Billboard chart. It's a record he held for 31 years years until the hard rock band Guns N' Roses released their much-anticipated double album, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. About losing that record, Newhart would quip, at least I lost it to a friend. Uh, Axl Rose and Bob Newhart, not quite a, lo- a likely couple. <laughs> yeah, and But the success of these two albums finally prompted Newhart to, you know, move out of his parents' house. Well, he was 31, so, you know, no need to rush. But he really wasn't there much with all of the travel his new career required. Yeah, the travel. See, the thing is, when Warner Brothers signed him, he'd never done a nightclub show. He'd only ever done routines for small groups of friends, for his family, who just didn't get it, and for those recordings that he, that he sent to the radio stations. But Warner needed him to do comedy clubs and nightclubs. So they set him up with a nightclub gig in Houston, which is where he eventually recorded the albums. But he was terrified, facing an audience like that for the first time. But he realized that to show fear would be the worst thing he could do. The audience would sense it and it would throw off the whole evening. So he summoned up all the bravado he could and went out there and, in his words, pretended like he knew what he was doing. Well, it worked and the audiences loved him. So did the Grammys. The Button Down Mind won the Grammy for Best Album of the Year the first comedy album ever to do so. And Bob Newhart won the Grammy for Best New Artist, the first and so far only comedian to win that honor. Just an incredible level of success so suddenly. But hard work was still ahead. Yes. The following year, 1961, he made his first foray into television with a comedy sketch show. But acting in sketches was different from delivering a routine at a microphone. He hadn't yet learned that that art, that form of comedy, so that show only lasted one season. It was, however, a great learning experience for him. He continued putting out comedy albums, which sold very well. And right around the time that his TV show failed, he had a great success. He met his future wife. Yes, and he met her through his friend, the great Buddy Hackett. Hackett and his wife hired the daughter of another actor to babysit their kids. 
Hackett thought that this gal, Virginia Quinn, would be a good fit for his new friend Bobby Newhart. So Hackett set them up on a date. He told Quinn, I met this young guy and his name is Bobby Newhart and he's a comic and he's Catholic and you're Catholic and I think maybe you should marry each other. On the other hand, Hackett told Newhart, I've got a girl for you. She's going with another guy, but I don't think he's right for her. So I'm going to fix you on a blind date. You'll meet her, you'll date, and you'll get married. Then you'll have kids and you'll call one of the kids Buddy. It can almost hear that in Buddy Hackett's voice. <laughs> I was going to say. It's impossible to try and recreate it. That Brooklyn, that high nasal Brooklyn thing going on. No, but that fast talking thing. Yeah. You can totally hear it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, they did get married on January 12th, 1963, and they had their first child later that year, but they called him Robert, not Buddy. Three more children would follow over the years, Timothy, Courtney, and Jennifer, and then eventually 10 grandchildren. The Newharts had a very good marriage for more than 60 years. Bob was asked about their marriage and how it was so successful in Hollywood, no less. He said a couple of things. First, he noted that the marriages of comedians often last even if they're stormy. He attributed that to the ability of comedians to laugh at things and to see the absurdity in things. He said, no matter how intense the arguments you're having, you can find a line and then you both look at each other and start laughing. It's over, you know? Uh, yes, I think I do. I <laughs> love you. <laughs> but the other thing he said was also important. In an interview after they'd been married 50 years, he said, quote, being Catholic has a lot to do with it. You work a little harder. You don't just have your first fight and walk out the door. I get that also. Yes. His approach to marriage and family probably also influenced the two television roles he's most known for. The first was as Dr. Bob Hartley, a psychologist on The Bob Newhart Show, which ran from 1972 through 1978. He played the straight man, getting the laughs largely from the remarks of his witty and wry wife, played by Suzanne Plachette. Other characters included his secretary and the array of odd characters who came to his office for analysis. It was a tremendously popular show, but he pulled the plug after six seasons when he felt the shtick had run its course. Then, just a few years later, he returned to television in the role of Dick Loudon, an innkeeper in rural Vermont. This time, the show was called Just Newhart. His wife in this series was played by Mary Fran. I remember this show as a kid. I didn't watch it often, and when I did, I really didn't get it. It seemed too, I don't know, ridiculous to be funny. I do, however, remember Larry with his brother Daryl and his other brother Daryl, and I did laugh at that. Yeah, well, with apologies to Bob Newhart, if you're listening, we didn't watch a lot of television when I was growing up, and I've actually never seen either show. Something I'm going to have to correct, I guess. Yeah. But... Newhart was another major hit for Bob, and it once again saw him playing the straight character with the laugh lines mostly given to the other characters around him. Now, this series has what many people consider to be the best series finale of all time. If you know, you know. But just to give an idea to those who don't know, at the very end, Bob wakes up suddenly in bed. He was awakened by a bad dream. But the bedroom he's in isn't the one from Newhart. It's the one from his earlier series, The Bob Newhart Show. And the wife in bed with him is played by Suzanne Plachette, his wife in The Bob Newhart Show. After he wakes her up, he relates the essentials of, of Newhart as though they were weird parts of a strange dream. Suzanne Plachette sleepily attributes the whole thing to eating Japanese food before going to bed, and she turns over. Anyway, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's a genius move and so typical of a Bob Newhart routine. Yeah, but as we said at the outset, it actually came from Ginny Newhart. 
Yeah, Ginny Newhart had the idea for that ending while they were at a Christmas party that Suzanne Plachette was also at. She proposed it to them then and there, and Plachette was immediately on board. Awesome. Well, after Newhart ended in 1990, Bob kept up his stand-up schedule, doing 20 or so shows each year, plus taking on guest appearance roles in TV shows, guest hosting The Tonight Show, as well as doing a film role here and there. One funny thing is that as successful as both The Bob Newhart Show and Newhart were, neither ever won an Emmy. It wasn't until 2013, when he appeared in a few episodes of The Big Bang Theory, that Bob Newhart won an Emmy, and that was for Outstanding Guest Actor. And my personal favorite role for him was as Papa Elf in the 2003 classic Christmas movie, Elf. He didn't win anything from that one, apart from the appreciation of millions of Christmas movie viewers. One consistent thing about him is the family-friendly nature of his work. Younger kids may not understand the humor, as you didn't with Newhart, but that would be because they don't understand the references, not because it's inappropriate for them. Right. And he talked about this in an interview. He said, there were times along the way over 50 years, mostly in the 70s, when there was the temptation to maybe get a little bluer in my stand-up act. It just never felt comfortable. It was like a sweater that never felt right, you know? Tim Conway and others who knew him and watched him work over the decades also noted this. Unlike many other comedians who would play a wholesome family man on television, but then resort to all manner of filth and vulgarity in their stand-up, Bob Newhart was the same man on television, on stage, and among his family and friends. Yeah, his life was too buttoned down to be otherwise. (laughs) He attributed this dedication to keeping it clean to his Catholic faith and the formation he received from the Jesuits at Loyola. In fact, he credited them with much of his odd outlook on life and the world around us. Something positive to chalk up to the Jesuits. Yeah, and the rest of his life has been about as buttoned up as all that. Yeah. Well, he's 93 now. Incidentally, this is only the second episode we've done of someone who is still alive, the other being Gene Krantz of NASA Mission Control fame. But in spite of his advanced age, he has remained active. When he turned 90, he did some interviews about his career and talked about new material he was producing. He has been on various shows like Conan O'Brien in recent years, and he has said time and again that he can't imagine stopping working or losing the desire to make people laugh. Did you know that he even did a series of stand-up events to celebrate his 90th birthday? I actually didn't see that, but it makes perfect sense with the other tours he was doing. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So he still works to make people laugh. But now, as we mentioned, he's without his beloved Ginny. She died in April of 2023 at 82 years old. So Bob is without his best friend and creative collaborator, but his legacy is set. He is one of the most highly regarded comedians of the last 60 years. His style, his stammer, which we didn't talk about much, and his wit have inspired more than one generation of comedians. And his dedication to keeping it clean sets an example for all comedians. There is no need to get raunchy or dirty to get laughs. As Newhart said, I think God has an incredible sense of humor. All you have to do is look around the world. There's no question that he has an incredible sense of humor. We happen to agree, and we are grateful that Bob Newhart followed that inspiration, helping generations to find good, clean humor in the ordinary parts of life. This has been American Catholic History. If you enjoy American Catholic History, please become a supporter. We've got perks for supporters. Get information on how to become a supporter and the perks at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support. 
Also on our website, sign up for our newsletter, learn more about Bob Newhart, plus see about our pilgrimages and find other great stories from American Catholic history. We also love the great reviews our listeners leave. Those and other five-star ratings help others find us. You can also email us feedback, questions, tips for episode topics, or other comments at feedback at americancatholichistory.org. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash americancatholichistory, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, and follow us on Twitter at ACH1513. I'm Noelle Hester Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, made possible by listeners like you. Bob. Bob.